0: For Thessalonians 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he, has, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The grass withers and the flower fades, we are like that grass and flower, but indeed the word of the Lord endures forever, and may he bless it to us. Well, I know it is Easter, and I do not make the following remarks in a glib or, uh, shall, shall I say, in an oppositional way, in the way that the church often looks to particular uh, seasons and holidays. But I say this earnestly and this is something that as believers we must grab hold of firmly that every Lord's Day is a time of remembering the sacrifice and atonement of God's Son. It's not just Good Friday where it is to be emphasized. It is the cornerstone of the church and the Lord's Day is our time for reflecting and remembering and seeing that we walk in it. Every Lord's Day is a celebration of rejoicing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Lord's Day. That's why he owns it as the Lord's Day. It is the day he rose from the dead, the first day of the week. and Scripture in Revelation 1 tells us, This is the Lord's day. It is His day. And every Lord's day, and this is where it becomes so essential to us as Christians, every Lord's day is a day of resting in that victory and salvation of our Lord and Savior. We're drawn back into that truth of who we are as the people of God. And what glory is ours as we live in this world that is not our home. As we wait for the kingdom of God to come. And as we long in our hearts for that day of glory when we will be walking with our Lord in all eternity. And I say that so that we, we guard against the idolization of this season. The world idolizes it for different reasons. But these seasons aren't times for us to make idols out of it. When you stop and and think, just ask yourself, why is there a Lord's Day? Why? Why do we have Easter, as we like to call it, despite what people may say of that Easter, Christmas, words to define the season? What's behind all our celebration, our remembering, our resting that constantly brings us back to the Lord Jesus Christ? What's behind all of that? Whatever thoughts are going through your minds, it all comes back to this point. It's that amazing grace of God. That's behind the Lord's Day. That's behind Jesus' death, His resurrection, His ascension. It's that amazing grace of God that has looked down from eternity and has loved a wretch like me and in that love has elected me and in that love and electing grace has moved Him to send His only begotten Son to bear His wrath and my curse for all my sins. I use the First person pronoun in the hopes that you're using that. What amazing grace that he should love a wretch like me and do all of this for my salvation. And it all goes back to eternity. God at work from before the foundation of the world. His love for you, dear Christian. If you are in Christ, understand this truth about His love. That His love to you is as God Himself. It is eternal, unchangeable, unshakable. Isn't that amazing? From eternity, He has loved you. And Paul, as he is writing this letter to this infant church, that's struggling, as we're going to see uh, in, in the coming letter uh, sermons, struggling with the persecution that has so quickly risen against them. Look what he says in verse 4. How he gives thanks for them, knowing, brethren, beloved brethren, your election by God. Actually, the... New King James doesn't interpret the scriptures properly in putting it together. It actually goes like this. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, your election. That's how it's really to be rendered. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, your election. Knowing your election, because God has loved you. Election may be a strange subject to preach on for Easter Sunday, but they're connected. I find it odd that so many Christians despise the doctrine of election, because both Old and New Testament bring us back to it time and time and time again. If there was no election, there would be no John 3.16. I remind you, and these are borrowed words, but we need to be reminded of it. Uh, uh, John 3.16 begins with those words, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. It doesn't say God sent his Son so that he could love the world. What was the impetus behind him sending his son? It was his love that was already there. It wasn't beginning his love. It was an effect of his love. And who did he love from eternity? Besides the Lord himself. His elect. Out of love, he sent his son. Without election, there is as as Ephesians 1.5 says, without election there is no adoption and accepted as sons by Jesus Christ to God himself. If you were not predestined, you wouldn't be accepted. Without election, there's no raising you up from the dead at that last day. Because those whom the Lord has come to raise from the dead are those whom He says in John three, uh, sorry John six thirty nine, are those whom the Father has given to me, and everyone that the Father has given to me, I will raise them up in that last day. There's no resurrection to eternal life without election. Isn't that interesting? My dear friends, it's that which makes God's love to us so amazing. That he, in love, has elected this depraved, this defiant, this law-breaking, this arrogant, selfish. Or as Paul would write in Titus 3, verse 3, this... Foolish, disobedient, deceived, lustful, coveting, malicious, envying, hateful, and hating sinner. What makes God's love amazing is that He has chosen such a one to be His beloved child. And that is us, as sinners. I don't know how many of you are Uh, part of a family that's ever adopted children. But who would adopt such a child? (laughs) Can you imagine yourself going to an adoption agency, which in Canada happens to be the government, and, and they want to start pairing you up with children that you can select from. And you come along and you say, well, the type of child that I'm looking to adopt is this foolish, disobedient, deceived, lustful, coveting, malicious, envying, hateful and hating child. And probably some of you are thinking, man, you, you've described a few people that I know. <laughs> Maybe even some of our own children at times. How many of us would adopt such a child? We're not looking for that kind of child, are we? Quite the opposite. We want this idyllic, obedient why? And not only to adopt such a child, but let's say it's a child who's 13 years old and who's got a criminal record and and in, in, in those crimes, he's probably going to end up in jail. Who would then say, well, that's okay. I already have a son who's willing to go and pay for the crimes of such a child so that I can adopt. That doesn't occur in the realm of our society, does it? But it occurs in the kingdom of God. That's what he has done in loving us. Who would adopt such a child? The answer is only God. And he has. If you're in Christ, this, this is the remarkable, transforming grace of God toward us. We're chosen in love, Paul says. Or, to use his words here, beloved by God, your election. You want to understand election? In the hymn book on page 850, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, article 5, it describes it of God out of his mere good pleasure from eternity did choose for himself out of the fullness of the population of the world in all its generations, a people to be his own particular treasure. What we heard in the call from Deuteronomy 7 is a reality of God's electing grace for all whom he has given to Christ. And the only reason he's done it is because he desired of his own will and purposes to love the wretched sinner. I know in Christian circles, I'm not going to spend a lot of time defining it, but it's a truth. In Christian circles, election is often viewed as a harsh doctrine. But do you know that in every time, whenever God presents, presents this, this doctrine of election in Scripture... His love is always associated with it. Isn't that amazing? It's His love at work that chooses a people for Himself, not His wrath. (laughs) And without that love at work, we would all here today be objects of His wrath. It's that simple. Because there's nothing in us appealing to God's glory that warrants his life. You heard it from Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 9. I did not choose you because you were a great people. You weren't. I chose you because I wanted to love you. You get to Romans 8. And there you, you hear about that that work of of God's grace and His electing grace in verse 28 where He talks about working all things together for those who love God, for whom He foreknew He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And, And it goes on to talk about the glory of God's pre- predestining grace, His electing grace that He calls, He justifies, He glorifies. And, and then how does all of that end? It ends with this truth that there's nothing that is able to separate you from that love of God that has been sealed to you in Jesus. It's out of love. Or in in. Romans 9, so that the doctrine of election might stand. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. But it is his love towards a chosen people that moves him to choose to elect. Ephesians 1, verse 4, from before the foundation of the earth, God chose you in love. It's not a harsh doctrine; It's an amazing doctrine. And this is the love of not just the Father. It's the love of the whole of the Trinity. Each person of the Trinity involved in this electing love of God. The Father who chiefly ordains your salvation... Who elects you according to his foreknowledge. Who predestines you to be adopted by him as a child. Who chose you in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Who gave you to his son so that you should be risen from the dead. A whole lot of purpose in this doctrine. And the thing is, when you think on each of those things that the Father has worked in choosing us in election, again, it's not because of anything deserving on our part. The ultimate cause has been solely the will of God, which is beyond our thoughts and understanding. It is the reason the Father sent His Son Why did Jesus so willingly come to do this? Because the Father had given Him a people who needed to be redeemed. And the only way that you could be redeemed was through Christ. Him becoming a man. Him obeying God in accomplishing a full righteousness in the flesh. Him dying as that sinless, perfect, atoning sacrifice. Him rising gloriously from the dead. All of that, all of that is the love of a son for his father. And him ascending into heaven as our high priest who has promised that he will return one day to bring us into eternal glory, body and soul, not just our soul. Our hope, I think it's good to remind you of this, our hope is not... That when we die, our soul goes to be with God. That's only a partial hope. That's only the beginning of hope. What is our hope? Is that while we are with the Father in spirit... And our body is in the ground. Our hope is that in that day of the Lord's return, there will be this tremendous, glorious call of God that will bring forth my body from the grave, make it immortal, incorruptible, reunite it with my spirit, so that in body and soul, I will forever be with my God. That's our eternal hope. And the Son is ready to see that accomplished. And Jesus has so definitively accomplished our salvation according to the will of the Father that it is impossible for any sin, it is impossible for Satan to condemn or withhold from God. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who who comes in accordance with the will of the Father and the Son to apply every aspect of God's saving graces to his people. Why have you been regenerated, born again? Why do you have a heart that loves and seeks God? You think that came out of the goodness of your own heart? Absolutely not. It came because the Holy Spirit looked and knew you belong to Jesus. And He comes and He regenerates you. He transforms that sinful heart that does not beat for God. Into a heart that wants to love and seek God. The Holy Spirit then calls you to Christ. Gives you the gifts of faith and repentance. Unites you to Christ. So that you are justified. By his sacrifice. So that you are adopted. And so that you are sanctified. To the end that you will be glorified. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. That the accomplishment of your salvation. Will be full and complete. In the day of the Lord. All of this, because dear Christian, you have been beloved of God and elected. Goes all the way back before the world was. Paul wants you to know that. You know the thing about election. It is never ever purposed. And if somebody in in keeping with the doctrine of election just walks around with this halo of pride and thinking, ah, look, God loved me. Thank God I'm not like so-and-so. Then you're probably naughty. <laughs> or at least the truth of election hasn't been realized in your heart. Because election is never there for us to compare ourselves with other people. It humbles us puts us in a place where we look up and we just, like David says, who am I? Who am I that you would love me? And if we held the doctrine of election more dearly to our hearts in that sentiment of truth, who am I? My friends, you would love your fellow brothers and sisters with a deeper love. You would. You would look at the world around you and you would say, I don't know who's elect, but I know they're out there. I want them to know Christ as I have known Him. Because who am I that I should be saved? You see, it it, it changes us into that humble believer who loves God. Why do you love God? What was John's answer to that question? that point, or answer to that question. Why do you love God? We love God because He first loved us. You see, it's the source of our love to God. The love we never had until the love of God shone within us. The love that He had for us in eternity past. Amazing. And the thing about election. And where, where Paul brings it out, moving from verse 4 to verse 5, is that it, it causes us, it, it works in us, a love for the gospel. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, uh, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. Paul is looking here at this church and says, I can see you love the gospel. It's the most precious thing to your heart. I can see that the gospel came to you in word. You heard about the true and living God who was creator and Lord. You heard about your wretched state before this God. And you heard about Jesus, his son, our Messiah, who died that cursed death in your place. And you heard about His resurrection and His ascended glory and you could not help but love what God has done for you through His Son. And so you believe, you have faith in Jesus. That's what you have. And that word came to you in power. Have you ever stopped to think how that word of the gospel came and met you in power. Well, some people read that in verse 5. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And they immediately think of demonstration of signs and wonders. But that's never what God considers to be the power of his gospel. What is the power of the gospel? It is the power of God. <laughs> For your salvation. It is what allows God. Who is holy and righteous. And just. A God who is right. To pour out all of his wrath. Upon all sin. A God who is right. In condemning sinners. To an eternity of death. The gospel comes. And is his power to say to you who deserve that eternity of death, I will pardon all your sins. I can pardon all your sins. I will accept you. I, I, I won't look at you as a sinner anymore. I will accept you as, as righteous and take you to be my own children. And I can do that because Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins and his resurrection meets you as the testimony that I am satisfied, that my wrath has been quenched. I have no reason to be angry against any of you anymore because your guilt has been paid for and I can forgive you all sins because Jesus died in your place. That's the power of the gospel. Amazing, isn't it? Look around at all of us here. We, we, we don't even know the fullness of all our sins. But we know that Jesus' blood has paid for them all. Isn't that amazing? The power of God. To justify, to say, you are no longer guilty, and I accept you in my sight. The power of God to save, to save us from death. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the gospel is the power of God to bring forth salvation from death. Christ has destroyed that enemy. He's destroyed that work of the devil to to gain victory over us. Death hangs there. Not just physical death. Physical death is a reminder of that eternal death, of that spiritual death between us and God, but of that eternal death That is waiting for everyone who dies without the Lord. How can we be saved? What power can deliver us from death? The gospel. It's the power of God to say. No. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But I can show the grace and glory of my love to you. In in, in removing that wage because Christ has paid it and giving you eternal life. It's the power of the gospel. And in the Holy Spirit, you see, this, this is how we know we're elect. <laughs> it's not because, again, we, we don't have that big E stamped on our back, it's because. The Word, the power of the Gospel, the Holy Spirit has come and worked in my heart, converted me. Think about that. How is it that you came to that place where you bent the knee and and believed in Christ and said, Lord, forgive me for my sins? Do you think that came naturally? No, that's, that's the spirit within you. I think of this often, and, and parents you'll you'll identify with this, but whenever you're dealing with a child who has committed a grievous sin, and you want to bring them to that place of repentance where they are genuinely sorrowful, how hard of a labor is it to get a child? who isn't really sorry, but will finally say, okay, I'm sorry. And you know in their heart they're not. That cry to God, forgive me, I've sinned against you, doesn't well up from within our own goodness or generated sincerity. It's a work of the Spirit. That ability to believe Jesus to rest the whole fullness of your salvation in Christ. That's the spirit. And in much assurance. With all of your sins do you have peace with God? Stop and think for a moment. You Look at your your past. I'm, I'm 60 years old and this year and and, and I I think back to all of the sins sometimes. You know when David cries out Lord remember not the sins of my youth and I'm thinking well that coupled with the sins of my adult years. And yet I, I can look to God and have peace with him. Why? I can look to God and have that hope of eternal life in Christ and thrive in it. It doesn't just bring me peace. It it brings an expectancy. It brings a life, a, a desire for God. In much assurance, I know my sins are forgiven. I know I have eternal life. I know I have an inseparable love from the Father that has been sealed by the blood of Jesus Isn't it amazing? When we think on all of this, what are we loving? We're loving the Gospel. We're loving the God of the Gospel. We're loving the Lord Himself. We're loving Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who from eternity have loved us and have worked to bring us to this place where we know we are beloved and elect according to his grace. I wonder if the hymn writer had that in mind when he said, My Jesus, I love thee. I know it is true. And he goes through all of those things. Love thee. Wearing even the crown of thorns. If ever I love thee, my Jesus is now. See, that, that's where understanding election brings us. Not a love for ourselves. A love for a God who has loved us. My friends, this day as we think on the resurrection, it isn't just that hope of eternal glory. It isn't just that we will be raised from the dead. It is that we are looking to the infinite God of eternal glory and saying, even as he is, So is his love for us. This is how God has loved you. Believe in him. Trust in him. The worries and the anxieties and the troubles of this world weigh heavy on your life. Come to this place where you comprehend a little bit more just how great God's love to you has been. You're weary with the stresses of life, when you find yourself filled with anxiety, come back again to this place where you are looking to the love of God and His electing graces. And know that this is the God who is for you, the God who will work good in your life, the God who will perfect you. Friends, if you do not know this love of God, turn to Him. It is never too late to turn to the Lord, to believe in Him, to be delivered, to experience this Word of the Gospel, this power of the Gospel, this Holy Spirit dwelling within, this assurance of eternal life that God has for you in His Son. If you believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Your people of God know that you are beloved by God and elect. Let us pray.